Hello and welcome back to the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation Podcast with Brant Pasalakwa, founder of the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation School. In this podcast, we answer our students' questions and share information about yoga therapy and meditation with the intention of creating a new paradigm in wellness. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's dive into the show. So this lecture will begin the uh, section on the fourth kosha. Um, And that layer of ourselves is called the Vijnanamaya kosha. Uh, This is the body of wisdom it's usually referred to. It's the layer of our consciousness that sits underneath the sort of what we think of as our conscious mind, our our mana, maya kosha. And often this kosha is associated with uh, intuition uh, because the wisdom that we are receiving, right, is coming from a deeper place inside ourselves, which is connected to the universal. So it's the part of your intuition that, that is always right because it's aligned with satya or truth. And when we practice uh, to balance this kosher, we're basically trying to remove barriers that shield us uh, from the truth of who we are. And the primary practice for this uh, is meditation. Because meditation allows us to change our ordinary perspective and receive that information that's coming from a deeper space uh, within ourselves. The other way to look at this kosher would be to call it the kosher of discrimination. And it's discrimination between the unreal, um, which is our perception, or maya, as you might have heard it. It's our our perception uh, that is not being informed by our spiritual self. And the real, where the spiritual and the mundane are fused together, right? Or, you know, the other way to look at it would be that they're not actually separate, right? and that would not be illusion, that would not be Maya, when you've combined those two or when those two are perceived to be one. So when this kosha is disordered and unbalanced, um, what happens is that we have a real lack of guidance in our lives and we're informed by aspects of our mind and personality that are totally unconscious. And so we're unbalanced and we're guided by our past conditioning whether it's from this life or past lives, if you uh, sort of subscribe to that way of looking at the world. So basically you have things informing you in an unconscious way when this is unbalanced, you know, uh, and you're being guided and your sort of personality is working off of this system where it's constantly repeating things, right? Coming out of this kosha, like problems in this kosha just keep manifesting over and over again. And what it kind of feels like or looks like, right, is that we have attitudes and beliefs that infuse our mental processes on every level. Um, and this is why balancing this kosha often uh, yields really good results. Um, and we especially see this in conditions that have uh, what you might call a self-sabotage component, such as uh, depression or addiction or social anxiety, these types of behaviors among many others. But when you have, you know, when you find yourself or others like, you know, doing things right that are definitely, you know, not in 
in our or their best interest, often this kosher really needs to be looked at. The main practices for balancing this are meditation practices. And as you know, I'm sure, there are many methods of, of meditation. And uh, Patanjali in the Yoga Sutras reminds, reminds us of this. Um, and he reminds us that there are many ways to meditate that will bring us uh, the serenity basically we're looking for if you look at sutras 132 through 139. Um, he leaves, even leaves it a bit open in 139 um, saying persistent meditation in harmony, with, in harmony with your religious heritage. So it's always good to know what you don't know and it would seem that Patanjali right, knew he didn't know every meditation technique or way to go about this. Um, and also there he implies that meditating on something bigger than ourselves is always useful. So whatever your version of that is, whatever your God is or your version of that would always be useful. So there's a big wide world of this and pretty much any meditation technique taking it to its conclusion um, and regularly practiced would help to balance this kosha. In general, uh, you're going to want, if you think you're having a problem on this level, you're going to want uh, your client uh, forming a meditation practice that works for them. I, another point coming from the yoga perspective uh, to note is that often in our tradition, pranayama, right, is to be used to obtain fitness for the process of meditation. And there are exceptions to this, but it, it's often a good idea to heed this advice. It's kind of what makes yoga special, right? Is that we have these ways of, of entering and moving into the mind that are very specific to yoga, including the, uh, you know, asana, pranayama, uh, meditation sort of sequence. So in the Yoga Sutras, uh, Patanjali outlines uh, the process of meditation, you know, that I guess, you know, he practiced and the way he saw it. So um, there's dharana, Right, which is concentration, and then there's um, dhyana, which is meditation, it's the second stage, and then samadhi, which is concentrating and then having a steady flow in meditation, and then entering the higher state of consciousness, which is uh, or merging, you could think of it, which is samadhi, and then when all these processes work well together, you have um, samyama which is the mind sort of acting with its full potential. So it's concentrating, it's meditating, it's sort of achieving higher consciousness, and it's doing this all harmoniously. So that's the kind of Patanjali method. So it starts with concentration is the main thing to pick up here. Um, and many traditions have this idea of concentrating on an object, whether it's external, you know, like staring at a flame, or internal, uh, like an image or an idea, right, inside. Um, and basically, this is a workout for the mind so it can develop enough ability to concentrate that it moves into meditation, which is the mind basically continuously staying on that object and not getting distracted. Um, and once this is achieved, we are uh, able to experience samadhi. And there are really a lot of forms of samadhi and in the yogic text there's many descriptions of like the stages of samadhi but the basic idea is that the mind and the object become one and there are absolutely no more distinctions so as opposed to you know 
total concentration of flow between them, which is meditation, then you have samadhi where there is no distinction. You're no longer focusing on an object because you and the object are, are the same. Um, and then when this happens, people often have um, larger, what they would call often spiritual experiences that can shift their perception uh, in a deeper and possibly uh, more permanent way. Uh, sometimes I like to think of it uh, when you reach uh, samadhi states, it, it opens you up to what's possible. So now your sort of frame of reference is widened in a permanent way. Even if you can't stay in that state all the time, you know that it's possible. Uh, so that's another way to think about it. So most conditions will be benefited by reaching uh, the dhyana state, the meditation state. So the Buddhist traditions uh, sometimes identify this as a state of tranquility, and I like that word, a tranquility state. Um, and this is really what most people, not all people, because there's the higher states in, in how yoga thinks about it, but the tranquility state is, is what almost all people are searching for. The ability uh, to feel at peace with just being. And this level of meditation will usually balance this kosha and help it um, really help resolve issues emanating from it. And then sometimes it needs to be bumped up a notch and more towards what we would call samadhi states. And that's more if a, when that's the case, the person you're working with or yourself will know that to be true because <laughs> you'll have achieved the meditation state and be tranquil and realize that there's something more that needs to happen. Um, so we would never, I'm bringing that up because we would never make that happen or force that on someone else. That interest would come from them. So the possibilities, you know, when we teach meditation, uh, I'm sure many of you watching or all of you watching maybe have meditated or have a meditation practice or have had a meditation practice or I guess will have a meditation practice. Um, so the, the question is, you know, how do we teach meditation and there's many ways to like to focus so if you're going in with like the original focusing um, some of the ones we're gonna look at it are focusing on the breath focusing on a mantra um, which is you know either Hindu or not but a a you know for some people it's the name of names of God other people it's a uh, a vibration right that changes uh, you physically as you meditate um, and it can also be an idea so there's different ways to look at mantra um, another way is to actually focus on the thoughts themselves and that's usually done with watching them come and go arise and fall and seeing that they're impermanent is the basic point of that um, another way to go with focusing your thoughts is like shifting them on purpose as we do in meta meditation and moving our thoughts towards the heart and love and you know directing thoughts towards love for ourselves and love for others and eventually love uh, just as a concept you know love for everything and the actual idea of love um you can also focus within the body and on energetic centers uh, a popular one would be focusing on the heart um so that's a possibility to like sort of move towards the heart center and focus your feeling, your noticing, and also your intention there. Um, there's a bunch of techniques where you focus on um, subtle perceptions in the body. 
Um, and then, of course, there are many, many more, but these are just some of the different ways, right? If you stop and think about it, many of you might already know all of these ways and be like, oh, wow, I know, you know, seven meditation techniques I've done or 10 meditation. There's really quite a few of them. Um, often, uh, just as an aside, people will call something a meditation, uh, which is fine. It's just a language thing, but that is actually a contemplation or a thought process. Um, and it's not actually meditation or concentration, right? Um, so we're going to be looking here more at how these techniques bring us into meditation, right? Actual meditation where we're sort of deep enough in it where we're fusing with our object. Now, the reason we need, we're as yoga therapists, are going to need facility and many methods is because our clients are going to be really, really different. Um, and it's important for us to have experience of several methods so we can instruct them. Uh, and in this case, it's also important not to only use our own experience, you know, with meditating since we're not our clients. Um, so for many, you know, for instance, for many, you know, watching the breath, right, is an easy way into meditation, right? And for others, it's like totally maddening and frustrating. Um, for some like meta meditation, directing the thoughts uh, towards, you know, thoughts of love towards ourself and others is, you know, kind of an obviously good idea and will be really appealing and kind of easy and lead us into meditative states. Um, for others, it brings up thousands of self-hating or hatred of other people or whatever vrittis moving through the mind. So it kind of moves us away from a meditative state. So ideally, in my opinion, um, we help our clients kind of find the path of least resistance um, as they try to do this. Um, so in years of, of yoga therapy practice, I have not found it beneficial um, to kind of force the issue most of the time to get clients to break through blocks, which is the way it's often taught. Um, you know, often if you are taught meditation and tradition, you have your method, of course, and then sort of, let's say, sitting through pain, right, is a very common thing that people are told to do. You're uncomfortable, it's just part of watching your mind um, during that pain. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad idea, but I found in a therapeutic context, usually doesn't work. Um, so we, as yoga therapists, have many meditation techniques available to us. We also have other techniques, right? The asana pranayama meditation equation is unique to yoga and a real treasure, and we can use that get people towards meditation um, and, and that said there's often like some method of meditation that will be eventually kind of like appealing and relatively simple for any given client so like other things we've talked about in this course uh, pranayama and sort of like using the pranayama that's right for your client and movement that's right for your clients the same with meditation um, and even if you are a more rigid person with your own meditation practice, especially if you're a very experienced meditator. And um, if you are, then you know, of course, that sort of working through things that are hard for you have been good for you. But that's not necessarily true in the therapeutic context, because really we're trying to get them as quickly to possible as possible to a state of tranquility. Um, so that this kosher can be balanced. And with that balanced kosher, whatever, we'll call them symptoms, right, are happening, 
will decline and that's our job. So it's a little different than just simply teaching someone meditation. And then of course we want to know, you know, there's a reason why we're doing this. Like, you know, we want to know, well, what does it look like when this kosha, this fourth kosha, right, is balanced? Uh, and what you usually see is, is a clarity, you know, a mental clarity that results that allows a person to feel confident in the decisions they're making. So health, right, which we're often dealing with, is easier to find or maintain because the client's now guided from a place of intuitive knowing that's that what they're the actions they're taking, the practices they're doing, their lifestyle changes they're making, their decisions are beneficial from them, for them. And this allows when you when you know that to be true, it allows one right to replace deep seated negative patterns with more useful ones. So that's how you know it's working. Your client you know, is being guided by themselves, by their like a sort of deeper place, an intuitive place where, you know, if they're working with you, maybe, you know, you're giving them practice and they're like, I know this is a good idea. They know, as opposed to you knowing it sort of turns on you. And they're like, that is a good idea. I know this to be true. Um, and now I can actually make meaningful changes that will benefit me. So as always, I thank you for your time and attention. Om Shanti, Om Peace. Thank you so much for making it to the end of this episode. Please subscribe, rate and review our show and help us share yoga therapy with more people around the world. If you think this episode will help someone you know, feel free to share it with them. If you love yoga therapy and meditation, you can follow us over on Instagram at breathingdeeplyyoga where we share anything and everything to help you advance your understanding of yoga therapy and meditation. For more information about our yoga therapy and meditation trainings and programs, visit breathingdeeply.com. See you in the next episode.